Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 73. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hey there. Today we'll be discussing the seventh episode of season four, John Quixote. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of John Quixote. Coming back to Moya, John and Chiana get sucked into a video game that has odd parallels with John's real life. As things in the game get dangerous, we find out that Scorpius is loose on Moya. So this is our Stuck in a Video Game episode, and this episode was written by Ben Browder. It's the second one he's penned for the series. So this is a fairly common science fiction trope. And for me, this was a callback to holodeck episodes of Star Trek Next Generation, which is what I grew up watching, just weirder. So, you know, you have the people stuck in the game and they have to deal with the game itself and it becomes more dangerous. And that's kind of the situation that we have here. And in order to get out of the game, they actually have to win. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's the situation that we find here. And actually, this episode opens with a really interesting choice, and it makes sense when you when you when the episode keeps going. You have Sokozu taking Chess down to Scorpius's prison cell, and she says, "John's not aboard. We can play." And they're playing through the door. And at one point, Scorpius says, "You know, you could open this door, and we could play this game for real, face to face." So you have this kind of theme of games going through. And as we've seen in the past, games and chess especially has been a metaphor for the contest of mind and will between John and Scorpius throughout seasons two and three. Yeah, I think it's especially interesting for reasons that Sokozu and I'm not, well, actually, Scorpius probably does understand because he's communicated with John and in some ways with the neural clone. But it's really interesting to have Scorpius playing chess just mm-hmm. because John has so often been playing it with himself and then also with Harvey. And it's kind of been this really tense thing. And then she looks at she looks at Scorpius and she's like, do you know how to play? Mm-hmm. And we're not sure that he does. You know what I right. mean? Like, like John has been so long playing this game of chess with Scorpius. And we often we often use the metaphor of, you yeah. know, them playing chess together. But I, in some ways, Scorpius doesn't actually know how to like know how to play chess. Yeah, I like the idea that he learned from the neural clone John while he was using it to f- trying to find the wormhole information, or he gleaned it from there. Or you know, the two of them just made up their own rules. I mean, did mm-hmm. you ever do that with board games when you were a kid, where you didn't know the rules and no one would play with you, so you just made up new rules? <laughs> <laughs> I used yeah. to do that all the time. I mean, I think that that's a good idea, too. And also, I think it's so funny that Sokozu goes into John's quarters and she's like, well, he's not going to care. He's not here. And I'm like, John will very much care that you took the chess (laughs) set that he made himself (laughs) and are now playing it with his arch nemesis. (laughs) Yes. Yes. John is not going to be best pleased by that. But it's interesting talking about, like, knowledge of the game because the game, John and Shiana are coming back from we don't know where probably a supply run something like that anyway they're on the transport pod and shiana is sorting through some some games that she has gotten and she says with glee one of them is porn and then she says she checks out this one game that's the one they end up getting stuck in and then she's like so excited about it that she forces john to come into it with her it's a simulation it's organic matrix you touch it on your skin and you get drawn into it 
And while this is happening, while John is trying to answer a call from a comms call from Dargo about there being a problem with Scorpius. And that's as far as we get before uh, Chiana forces John into the game with her. And the reason she's excited about it is because it's the gamut base. Like she and John are now in the gamut base. Jelena is running through and it's, you know, this callback to their life or John's life. And it's like, what is going on here? And then Stark jumps in and saves saves them from Scorpius who shows up. Scorpius in game. So immediately you have lots of stuff going on. And I guess my original point that I wanted to make that I wandered away from but I want to revisit it as we talk about this episode is how Chiana knows how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like she grew up with these games. Clearly she knows how they work. She's the one when John wants to say, get me out of this game. We got to go back and find out what's up with Scorpius. She's like, well, you just say I want out, you know, and, but then the override doesn't work. That's the standard override. And then throughout, she's the one who catches on to a lot of the things that are going on in the game that mm-hmm. that come up and i just thought that was a really cool choice to have chiana be the gamer yeah i mean and it is again kind of going back to john as a fish out of water which i think is kind of one of the things that the series has moved away from like we've talked in a lot of ways about how john is now becoming the action hero and Sakozu is now the science nerd you mm-hmm. know but at the same time, I really like this callback to kind of John still having things he doesn't know about. It reminds me of that moment in Thanks for Sharing where he's handed a phone and he doesn't know what to do with it. And Chiana has to like open it for him. You know, it's kind of like that kind of feeling. I think that what's interesting for me is that the game really quickly kind of jumps into Farscape weird territory. Like it starts off as kind of, you know, a Destiny, Call of Duty kind of first person shooter game. Mm -hmm. And then it immediately moves into like this weird, you know, uh, anime kind yeah, of yeah like anime early mario brothers kind of feel with like yeah. the really pixelated trees and everything and a <laughs> giant tower that he has to you it know looks like a cactus yeah it looks like a cactus to me stark is the one who saves them an avatar of stark and they basically get booted from the level of the gamut base where they're in their real clothes. They've got weapons. They're, in, you know, season one. Uh, Chiana's in her season one outfit, the outfit with like the tufty shoulders and the kind of camo pattern, black and white. And then they're transported into this other level that's kind of fairy tale-ish. And John is in Spanish armor, which is a callback to Don Quixote, after which the episode is named. And Chiana is in a jester's outfit with a blue vest and a floppy hat. And they're like, what's going on? And John's really pissed off at this point. He is like so mad at Chiana because he's worried about Scorpius having done something back on Moya. And Chiana drew him into this game and he's they're stuck there now because the override's not working. And we find out uh, pretty quickly Stark is there. They end up in this like back room of the game, which is apparently not supposed to be part of the game the game is supposed to be the gamut based levels you know real life grittiness terrifying human versus the the peacekeepers and scorpius i think the level that they're on currently is actually the fairy tale level it's actually supposed to be a higher level because really yeah because stark early on says you're not supposed to be here all players need to start at the gamut base yeah okay because i kind of took it as this like this parallel 
game, yeah, game almost. I think that was just supposed to be the back room where Stark okay. is looking for the um, direction manual. That's okay. what. That's how I took it. I think it could be taken either way because like yeah. this, this episode so is different. set. Yeah, they're so different. I know. That was my confusion, too, was because I was like, I would 100% play the video game that, like, it kind of started as. So they, they're they in this back room with Stark um, because he came to them in front of the castle and he was like, hey, you guys aren't supposed to be here yet. You haven't played any of the previous levels. And they're kind of like, we're here. And then mm-hmm. he realizes that because this is the real John, <laughs> it's actually glitched the system. And now they can't yeah. get out without winning. Right. Because when he gave his neural imprint to make the game, he also had the memories of Talon John that he took at the end of Talon John's life. That's that's how all this kind of weirdness came together. Yeah. And it has this really great moment where you're watching John on the screen on this like TV screen and he's giving this narration that's supposed to be part of the game where the player plays Mm -hmm. through and then they hear this narration and John kind of talks about how he's this outlaw and you know millions of lives hang in the balance and you have to it's very very typical you know video game kind of like you have to do this thing. And at the same time, a reference to Max Headroom, which was this really short-lived late 80s TV show of that, that those parallel lines behind the head that glitches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, um, Stark has been looking through his file cabinets and he pulls out a goose and a golden egg and <laughs> a whole bunch of other stuff. And then he finds the directions, which is what he's looking for. So let's take a listen to the quest that John and Chiana must go on. Here we are. In farther space beyond the knowing charts, the horrid human and his band appear. And though they play today at different parts, the core of subtle truth beneath is clear. The path of choice may draw you dark and deep, where flesh deformed doth keep the dream alive. And if the way your compass cannot keep, some pearls of wisdom to thee do I give. Ha! This should do it! Your quest is for the princess fair to seek, the one a human's fleeting love did rend. Bring forth the sword and through the darkness peep. One loving kiss amends, and there's an end. And if we shades with taste do not agree, a door of green shall set your senses free. Mm. That was great. What was that? Your way out. Kiss the princess. Kiss the princess. The princess, and you're out. Or oh, find a green door. Either way. Vouchers! Each one good for one answer to one question. Squeeze them hard, use them well. Time's up, game's on, good luck, have fun. The tower's up, but up is down. Follow the path through the fairy town. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like transforms into another, not quite a jester's outfit, but another kind of courtly fairy tale-ish outfit with uh, chin length hair. But yeah, so I don't know if you had this experience while listening to it while you were watching the episode, but because they're running words down the screen when he's reading that really fast part at the beginning and they don't match what he's saying, I could not listen and hear and take in what he was actually saying when he's speed reading at the beginning of that passage because my eyes were trying to read at the same time and it would just cause my brain to freak out or something. (laughs) Yeah, I actually watch almost all of my television with subtitles on. Because my husband and I have an agreement that, like, it's much better just to deal with subtitles than to have, like, one or both of us being like, what did they say? What did they say? (laughs) Um, And I actually found it, like, triple confusing. I just didn't even listen. Like, I'll be 
I'm going to put this out there. I think this episode does a lot of interesting stuff. And I think the references it makes are really interesting. But like the whole premise, I was kind of like, okay, like it's, you know, stuck in a video game. They need to kiss the princess. Like this is fairly standard. Do you know what I mean? Right. It felt standard. You know? Right. I mean, they do. The, and he does the good job at the end. Is like, okay, this is the important bit. Kiss the princess or find a green door. Those are your ways out. Like, mm-hmm. so they are calling attention to the important bits that the listener needs to be. And, you know, this episode is intentionally confusing. I mean, they make a call out reference to this at the end of the episode, um, at the very end in the tag. So I think there's a lot of intention with it. And then my other thought is, come on, it's Stark and John's minds combined. Two of the wackiest characters on this show and it's merged together in this weird amalgam of of an adventure of some sort and it's just weird mm-hmm. yeah so john and chiana start the quest they open a door a very a tiny small door. door very alice in wonderland and so they they start down this path and they're in a parking garage which reminded me a lot of the fake earth episode the second mm-hmm. fake earth episode we'll get, get again. again which was also you know taken out of john's mind yes <laughs> something in common about John and parking garages, I guess. <laughs> Probably just the one that was closest to the sound studio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is like there is some stuff in here that's like kind of hilarious because you can tell they were like, we don't have the budget to spend a lot of money on this episode, so we're going to do this cheap. <laughs> um, it works, though. Yeah, it works, though. And so they go to this parking garage and they're following this yellow brick road. They run into a character who calls himself zan in a in a hippie van Mm -hmm. that's rocking when they first approach it and so they open it up and a big blue buddha guy comes out and says i am pau zoto zan 10th level pau and kind of the the i think i read this when i was looking a few things up about some of the references in this episode that was like the original character design for zan's character so this is who we could have gotten had they you know, cast a dude instead of a lady, instead of Virginia Hay for the role of Zan and made that decision to make it a Buddha. Hmm. I have yeah. to admit, I think they, they did better off with Virginia Hay. <laughs> like, I think yeah. she brought a lot more to the character than, you know, a kind of hippie would have. Right, right. But anyway, so th- so they meet him and he says, so they're a little confused about it. And um, and he says, you know, you're not going to be able to kiss the princess. The ogre is going to get you. And you know, John is hurt at this point because he stood underneath a falling television at the very beginning and there's an antenna stuck in his head, like all the way into his brain. Yeah, so so he, he's going to help John because he's hurt. So John gets knocked out and dragged into the van. And this is kind of the scene that was a little gross <laughs> to me. So gross. It was kind of gross. So it's just like, oh, we're going we're gonna to heal him with my milk of the male priest. And it's not that aliens couldn't have different sets of mammary glands, but the fact that they're doing that at all just kind of grosses me out a little bit. But I do want to play that clip because it again shows Shiana's game savvy mm-hmm. and her knowing what's what with the rules and whatnot. Or the dangers. He doesn't look so good. Yep, yeah, he's bad. He's going south. <laughs> it's milking time, baby. Have inside Luma for the cure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, better get ready to keep quiet. The ogre's not going to let you kiss her, you know. Hmm? He'll be jealous. Feed him, you fanic. Okay, here's the good stuff. Here it is. Oh. Oh. Acid. 
Okay, try the other loom. Very good, little Nixa. Most get burnt the first time. Okay, here we go. Other Luma. Next time, Lucky. Unless the ogre gets wind of this, then there'll be trouble. Okay. He's a small boy. Keep it down. Keep it down. <laughs> okay, actually, the more I think about it, though, the idea of Delvians having mammary glands makes no sense to me because they're plants. Right. Well, I mean, you could kind of think of it as like sap of some sort coming out, you know, like we tap maple trees to get syrup. You know, that is a thing that happens. So, okay. yes, it is a little weird, but that's they're also working with a human actor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, this whole scene is like real weird, but it definitely does show Chiana being the gamer here because Chiana mm-hmm. is the one that throughout this whole episode, really, she's the one that's actually playing the game, which makes yeah. it really ironic that John is dressed as the main character and Chiana is dressed as the sidekick because in reality, she's the one that's playing. She's the one yeah. that's getting it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And... Just a quick note, she's armed with um, knives, so she has two daggers, I think, with her, and at, when she knocks the acid back, she actually threatens Zan with the knife to her throat, and as you said, John is the one dressed as a warrior, he's got armor, he's got a helmet, they're both Spanish style, and he's got the sword, so he's the warrior, so I just really like that, like, Chiana gets to be the rogue, and John's the warrior, and it just really makes things nice. John gets healed, they all scream. They get kicked out of the van after driving through the parking lot, and they're on the next part of their little quest. And they they follow the the yellow little trail, which is like John describes it as like chocolate coins. That's mm-hmm. what they're following. And there's these doors all over the place. Um, none of them are green, however. And then they come upon Rigel the Black Knight, which I love and is hilarious. And I am going to play it just because it's really quick. And it's Rigel as the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I said I'll... Well... None shall pass. (laughs) Check this out. Brave Sir Knight, I am King Arthur of Camelot. This is my loyal vassal, Patsy. Bollocks, you're a pimped out arrogant fleshy who wants to use my road where none shall pass. Well, that went great. Let's kill him. No, no, no. He's not going to move too fast, lugging on that armor. We can just go around. None shall pass. So they try to go around little Rigel. And you have to understand, they're this huge, empty, empty parking lot. And Rigel (laughs) is like, you know, the size of Rigel. So yeah, John's right. They could just walk around. But the way Rigel, the little black knight, stymies them is he farts fire now. now, His his ass is now a a flamethrower. And so... You know, they're on one side or the other. And I, just, and I also just love Chiana, like, let's just kill him because she's playing the game. Mm-hmm. And then she keeps playing the game by, you know, getting around the fire and stabbing Rigel and he explodes. And John's pissed because basically he's still pissed at Chiana and basically brings back the argument of why are we in this stupid game? It's all your fault kind of deal. Like, where's the door? They can't find the next door. Mm-hmm. The, the door after they asked Stark, they figured out is underneath where Rigel was sitting. He was hiding it. I don't know. This part just, I don't know. I just love Monty Python, the Holy Grail so much that it was just made me laugh and laugh and laugh when I saw this scene. 
It's such a good reference. It's like one of the best parts of Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. It's It really is. It's so classic. And also, I just love, again, how Chiana gets to be the badass here. Like, she tells John, like, okay, let's go this way. And then she goes the other way. And he's like, I thought we were going this way. And she's like, dude, like, obviously, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> trick him. And then she ends up being the one who does the cool thing where she, like, slides in and kills mm-hmm. him with, like, a, you know, going under his fire. It was very cool Chiana moment. And also, yeah. Monty Python for the win. I know. I know. So uh, so the next part, they fall into Dargo's room. And Dargo is... Is from it's like a Hansel and Gretel situation, except you have Jewel and Shiana. So in second, Shiana in a cage who are who are begging to be eaten by Dargo. Um, they're both in witches' costumes, and Dargo is in like lederhosen with a polka dot shirt, and is a confectioner. Like giant lollipops are everywhere, and kind of kind of candy house so you got like lots of mixed metaphors going on there and i just want to point out that the whole you know jewel and chiana begging to be eaten by dargo and all the sexual overtones like they were the two (laughs) his two girlfriends (laughs) and while they're going through this room they actually see a green door and they're like okay we gotta get to the green door it's on the other side and when they get there chiana says at some point this room is too easy and that becomes mm-hmm. actually really important later on in the episode. But they go through the green door and, ah, oh, they're out. And Chiana gets zapped by Dargo's tongue right before she can make it to the door. So only John is back in the pod, awake, and Chiana is still in the game and still vulnerable in the game. So then John ends up going back for Chiana. He makes a call to Moya, but then he decides to go back for Chiana before he gets to Moya because he realizes that... Um, he can't just leave her there. Yeah. 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 He's mad at her, but not that mad. Right. And in the game, she has disappeared from the room. So now John has to find her. And he asks Stark again, who is like a head under a plate in the table. It's a really fun little visual gag. So it's like his head is on a plate, even though the actor is sitting under the table. Um, and uh, so now he goes through the blue doors to get on the elevator where he has a conversation with his max headroom alter ego which is pretty funny and he has to defeat a scarin and a Xiang, the fire breathers from season one mm-hmm. with his sword before he gets to the top level the penthouse where princess Aaron is and butler harvey are so he's reached it he's reached it and that's where chiana is and he gets an introduction to the ogre so I'm just going to talk through this because uh, there's much more interesting things to talk about later on in the episode. Erin is all in white. It's a bedroom. She's got a southern accent with a lisp. Harvey is acknowledged to be Harvey and not Scorpius, like she calls him Harvey. Um, and he's a pathological liar and a butler. And then the ogre rocks in and it's Crace, which I mm-hmm. thought was kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because given how much Stark hates Crace and how much John hates Crace, and he is... Aaron, the princess's boyfriend. It's just like the whole love triangle from Talon, the the Talon crew, kind of playing itself out again. Except Crace is a really ugly ogre. Yeah. Well, I think it also plays into kind of the issues that John has going on these past few episodes with like his whole paranoia about the father of Aaron's baby and kind mm-hmm. of like his whole issues being dug up with Crace. Cause this isn't the John that got to have closure with Crace 
granted he got to have it as he was dying <laughs> but still right. he kind of got to have that realization that like he and Crace aren't necessarily enemies and that he can rely on Crace for some things you know and even yeah. though this is the john that kind of like saw Crace make a noble decision and make the decision to you know kill himself and and talon um on the command carrier to save the universe from wormhole knowledge it still is like I think that Crace himself just still represents for John kind of the the seed of everything bad that's ever happened to him, you know, yeah. since he came through the wormhole, you know? Yeah. So it makes sense to me that, like, Crace is the ogre. I think that hits a lot of the psychological aspect of that. I think that's that's really true. So Chiana's there. John and Chiana are... They basically are able to distract or the ogre and Aaron end up distracting each other by arguing about redecorating and there's a green door. They go through the green door. They wake up in the pod. And so now they're like, okay, we're out of the game. We were able to get to the top and now we're back in the real world and Dargo is now on the radio or the comms uh, once more telling them that Scorpius has gotten loose. They make it back to Moya and Scorpius is no longer in his cell. Well, actually, I, I want to point out some interesting stuff that's that kind of comes sure. up later, which is that at the very, very, very beginning of the game, when Chiana forces John into the game, John says something to her along the lines of, hey, I don't want to be here. I just, you know, we just got this call from Moya about something wrong going on with Scorpius, right? Right. But they don't know what. But they don't know what. Here... Dargo calls him and says, there's a problem with Scorpius. And John is the one who says, just tell me that he hasn't gotten loose. Mm -hmm. And so he feeds that to Dargo and Dargo is like, well, I hate to tell you, but he has gotten loose. Right. And so that kind of becomes important later because I was trying to figure out like I when I went back and was like trying to rethink the episode, I was like, oh, OK, that's where it happened. Yeah. OK. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I hadn't gone back and parsed it, but one of the themes that I think comes out in this next section is the theme of fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because that is John's fear, Scorpius is loose and now it has come true. And so John's fears become a major part driving this next little section on Moya. So they get back, Dargo and Aaron greet them. Dargo and Shiana take one tier, Aaron and John take another. And the two of them are kind of feeling the buddy cop vibes again, right? You know, mm -hmm. they're... They're back on business. They're going to hunt down what's going on. Something's pilots not responding. Things are going weird on Moya. So they're going to go check out pilot and see how he's doing. And at one point, John says, it's good to have you back to Aaron. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's in reference to, to their partnership, feeling like they're not on opposite sides because of their relationship. Yeah. So they go to pilot's den and Scorpius is there and the deities are firing at them. And then Scorpius says, hey, I did that thing I did to Grunschlick at the end of last season where I've got, you know, I'm controlling pilot and I'm going to kill him and kill everybody and just wait for Graza to show up if you don't give in, if you don't, you know, if you don't give yourself up. Yeah. And at that point, Aaron knocks out John. Because John wants to shoot Scorpius anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she knocks him out and she kicks him. And uh, I'm going to play the next scene where John wakes up in a cell. He's awake. He did it, didn't he? Tagged you with the microchip. 
You haven't considered the possibility that I was protecting Pilot. The second boot to the head convinced me otherwise. She's special, don't you think? the Aurora chair. You resisted my neural clown, and uh, you resist all reason. You're starting to sound like Sakosa. Perhaps. Where does that leave us, John? Time you headed off for darker pastures and left me the hell alone. You resist because you have hope. Hope that your friends will save you. This time it will be different, one by one. I will extinguish all your hopes, and little by little you will begin to see reason. Scorpius, we have Rigel. Lovely girl. I hear that one quarter scattered and sebation offspring are quite handsome. Ah, uh, yeah. So, this scene has, I think, a lot of John's worst nightmares wrapped up into it you have Aaron voluntarily potentially turning against John mm-hmm. in favor of Scorpius and the reason she's doing that she says is you know consider that I'm protecting Pilot which is a completely valid argument and Aaron is pragmatic enough to do that and then you have Scorpius basically threatening Aaron as in like I know how much you care about her what are you going to do about it if I rape her you know mm-hmm. and she has my child and it's just like all these things coming together and Scorpius back in control and threatening his friends over, you know, give me the wormhole knowledge because you have been resisting so far and now I will take away everything else that you have in order to get it. And um, and the last thing that I noted here was like, he's like, you, Scorpius says, you still have hope and I'm going to take that hope away. And it just reminded me of that scene way back in uh, Look at the Princess in season two. Mm-hmm. When at one point John says, I have hope, hope that I'll get home. I have hope or, I'll, or I have nothing. Like that's what he survives on is that hope that he will get through this and come out on the other side of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot of like, you know, perfect storm of nightmare material right here. It's almost Taz. Like this is designed <laughs> to be his worst nightmare. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, this is kind of for me. Well, actually, earlier in the episode was kind of for me when I was like, that was it with the video game where I was kind of Mm -hmm. when they got out. That was when I was kind of like, that seemed easy. Like it reminded me of I I felt a lot like Chiana in Dargo's room where I was like, right, this seems a little too pat, you know, exactly. And and so here, this moment, though, it feels like it's terrifying for John. Like you can feel it down in his bones. And I think that really does just go, though, to like how good a grasp of character Ben Browder has mm-hmm. of John Crichton. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't always agree with how he writes John Crichton. But here, I think he's really getting at this like niggling truth about John and like what he's afraid of and the fact that if you did this to John, he would be destroyed, you know? Right. 
And it's actually at this point that John begins to do something that is kind of terrifying because he cuts open his own hand Mm -hmm. and he starts writing out wormhole equations on the floor with his blood. Because um, Scorpius handed him a knife because, of course, you're going to hand the enemy that you have balls to the wall a knife just to taunt them with the fact that they can't kill you without killing their friends. Well, and because- then he can't kill him at all because I right. read it as that there's still some lingering, you know. Yeah, I got that, too. When he tries to stab him, like he, he, he stopped like he was at the end of season two when Harvey was stopping him and the neural clone was stopping him from following through. But also the fact that his friends are are hostage Mm -hmm. but yeah the other thing that this scene really brought home to me having seen all of season four is i think this is where some of john's behavior going forward from this episode and we'll come to it again at the end but why he behaves towards aaron the way he does is out of this fear that's born from this conversation of scorpius threatening aaron in this scenario yeah, like if Scorpius knows how much Aaron means to him, Aaron can be used against him. Yeah, and I think this, you know, is something John has always known, but here it's really crystallized for him just what the stakes are personally. You know, that's actually kind of interesting because it's an inverse of Aaron from earlier seasons where Mm -hmm. like in earlier seasons, one of the explicit reasons that Aaron kept herself so apart from John was just this knowledge that if he was close to her, if they were emotionally entangled, he could hurt her or him getting hurt would hurt her. Like we saw that um, in The Way We Weren't when it's kind of really explicit that like the one of the reasons you're not supposed to get emotionally entangled with other officers or is because they could leave, they could be transferred or that you know, treason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or they would be willing to do things for you or just that kind of like that, that yeah. phantom pain, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and here it's, it's the knowledge that someone else could hurt her and that thus hurt John or hurt John to get to her or you know they are a a partnership now and he does not want to see her hurt at all especially at the hands of someone like Scorpius yeah so then there's like a lot of stuff that happens and Um, well Chiana is in the cell next next door and says hey here's the game let's chat in the game so they go back into the game briefly and and they're like, okay, Scorpius is listening to everywhere on the ship. He can't hear us here. And so then John's plan is to trap Scorpius in the game where he is physically, his physical body will be vulnerable while his mind is occupied. Which is actually why John begins to do the blood thing because kind of his, his bait, his, you know, his worm on the hook to get Scorpius back into the cell with him is him saying, hey, you should recognize all this wormhole knowledge, but the key is under my foot. So you're right. going to have to come in and take it. So then yeah. Scorpius comes in the cage. John slaps him with the game. Scorpius actually outsmarts the game a little bit. He's like manipulating <laughs> the game. And then John gets out and Scorpius is stuck. Right. And he gets out because Aaron comes in and physically pulls him away. Right. So mm-hmm. Aaron is is rescuing John from Scorpius within the cell. And... And she's like, okay, now we got to run. And I'm going to play this next bit because this is the turning point of the episode. What about the others? We can't save the others. Listen, John, I came back for you. Nothing else matters. I just want to be with you. 
get out of here before it's too late. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So something is wrong. Dun, dun, dun. And while at the end of that little clip, he pulls out the little ball to ask Stark questions that he should not have in his possession in the real world. And he realizes that he is still in the game. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of things that twig him onto that. I think Aaron's behavior is not that she came to rescue him, but that she was willing to leave the others behind and just leave them behind and run. Mm-hmm. Like real Aaron would not do that. She would go back for Dargo. She would go back for Chiana and Rigel, you know, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't leave pilot either, you know? So, so even if she doesn't fully like them, like, they are no longer people she can leave behind. And yeah. the fact that she's just like, oh, it's just you and me, John. You know, that's, I think, the big clue that something is wrong. And ironically, I think that this reminds me a little bit of um, the locket. Mm. Because I think that in some, if, I think that if, I'm going to be a little bit spoilery here and we'll get into it in a moment, but if Stark had been a tiny bit better at designing this end of the game or at at figuring it out on the fly, then I think John would have gone for it. And John yeah. could have gotten stuck in here forever, you know? Mm-hmm. But because this is his fantasy, he's often told Aaron, like, let's just settle down. Let's just go somewhere and, you know, be together. That's all I want, you know? And so this is kind of feeding into that. And I think John is at this point realizing that not only is that not what he wants, but that that's no longer in character for either of them. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it's just it's just that's what pings him is wrong. I also wonder if they kiss in the middle of that, if the kiss is wrong because it's a computer and not the real person. Mm -hmm. But but since it's being pulled from his mind, it might be right. (laughs) (laughs) So John goes back into the game and he ends up. With Chiana. With Chi- he grabs- with, yeah, he grabs Chiana. They go back into the game and they end up in Dargo's candy cave. And he asks Chiana or he tells Chiana, he's like, hey, before you said this room was too easy. Why did you say it was too easy? And she kind of tries to tap dance her way around the question. And then he ends up realizing that it's not the real Chiana and because he forces her by saying, what's Aaron's secret? Because he knows mm-hmm. that she knows Aaron's secret. And she kind of says, what secret? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. And then yeah. he realizes that the Chiana that's hogtied on the table with an apple in her mouth is the real Chiana. Right. And so when they were first in Dargo's room way back on their first playthrough, you know, when he lost Chiana, had to go back and find her, she'd been switched at that point. And so he's been going with the wrong Chiana, the fake game Chiana throughout the rest of this. And they do, just real quick, they do go back to Zan and Rigel's levels too, but they basically blow through them by running them over with the van, which they steal. (laughs) (laughs) Briefly amusing before they get back to here. So now we have real John and real Chiana, and they're like, okay, we actually need a real solution because these green doors right before they left Moya part of the game back into the the fairy tale land, you know, they saw Scorpius painting a yellow door green and Stark talking over it. And so they're like, okay, now we actually have to figure out how to get out of this game because we are well and truly stuck. The green doors are not a thing. And so, so they've realized that they have to find the princess, kiss the princess, get out. That's the only way out. That's the end game. And so they end up going 
And I think they, when they first come back in, they kind of decide that. So by the time they get past Dargo's room, next they go up to the penthouse. They stab a lot of TV screens. Um, in the penthouse is Aaron still and Harvey the butler, who they have to fight off, and then Crace the ogre. So John is fighting Crace. Chiana fights Harvey. She subdues Harvey. Stark comes in, the Avatar Stark comes in, so Chiana's fighting him and she incapacitates him. And then Chiana's actually the one who throws a knife and gets the ogre in the neck, which debilitates him so that uh, John can kill the ogre. So again, Chiana is winning this game and (laughs) she is totally owning all the bad guys. And so then John kisses the princess and then nothing quite happens the way it's supposed to. And then here's, here's what comes after where we realize that Aaron is not the right princess or Chiana rather realizes this because Chiana again is winning this game Chiana I don't know what do you mean you don't know I don't know hey I know maybe you have to do more than just kiss her maybe kiss it's a metaphor for showing her a really good time hey and maybe Chiana has to kiss her. Huh? Can I watch? I love to watch. She is not the princess. What? Oh. Well, I'm not the princess you seek, but we can still have a really good time. This is my world, meat. You're just walking through it for a very long time. When your body is dead, your mind will live here with us to strut and fret forever you poor player and then after that john turns walks out of the balcony and jumps off or leans forward off to kill himself so he can reset the level yeah because he's figured something out he's figured something out and I want to point out the really good Shakespeare reference there to, you know, a poor player, you know, fretting and strutting mm-hmm. about the stage, which I think is a Macbeth reference. And it, that's that's interesting because that's a tragedy and that's kind of a tragedy that everybody saw coming. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there was this prediction at the beginning that there, you know, this was going to end badly. And, you know, that's kind of the same feeling you get from this episode is you you kind of know going into this that this is going to end badly when it starts off with Jelena, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of ghosts in this episode if you want to keep going on a Shakespeare kick. Yeah. We have Jelena and then the character we're going to meet next. So, you know, there's lots of callbacks to to the past. Yeah. I think that the callback to Jelena is really good because of what comes next. Yeah. Because John has figured out that it's not his princess. This is Stark's mind. So it's Stark's princess. And Stark even says that right there. He's like, this is my world, meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John goes back and he finds Zan. The male Zan, who he then starts repeating part of the prophecy poem from the beginning. Except I listened to this twice and I don't think it's actually ever said at the beginning quite the same way. So he's paraphrasing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, he slices male Zan down the middle and he doesn't, it's not like bloody or anything. He just kind of unzips and this is glow. And Virginia Hay returns to Zan, the real Zan. I know. And I want to play that little bit. Don't touch her! She's mine! Mine! Be silent, Stark. Is that really you, John Crichton? I think, yeah. 
Sam. For all that matters. This duck wishes to keep you here. He blames you. No. Believes I died for the love of you. A lot of people have died because of me. What is it that you wish of me, John Crichton? A kiss. Have you wasted my death? And the deaths of so many others? I don't know. Then I suggest you find out. Before anyone else dies for the love of you. And they kiss, then they get out of the game. Oh, that's such a good line. You know, before anyone else dies for the love of you, you know. There's a lot going on kind of under the surface. I think in multiple scenes in this episode. But this is another one. It's like that middle one where it's like all of John's fears. And here's another one of them. It's like, have people died for me? And have I wasted their lives? Have they died for nothing? Because it's not just Zan, right? You have Mm -hmm. Zan who died to save Aaron. Because she loved Aaron and John so much. She had, you have Jelena who died for Jelena, John. Jelena who died for John and who we get a call back to. You have Crace who technically died for John. Yeah. And, and Talon. And he's like, everybody that was important to him in some way, even if he didn't always like them, you know, all their deaths are brought back here. And the fact that she calls it wasted, you know, that's such a loaded term of like, are you worthy of these people loving you and dying for you? And is it all in vain with the, you know, the wormholes, which he was willing to turn over to Scorpius to save Aaron from dying for him, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's, there's that thread of it too. He's like, what's he willing to do for Aaron on top of it all? Yeah. And then you have the poor tragedy of Stark who I do like that they call out that he's a bit of a creeper with like, I like to watch in that previous clip that we played. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like he lost Zan, whom he loved very much. And this is what he's carrying around with him is this, this frustration and this, you know, dislike and hatred of John, maybe not hatred, but this baggage with John who he, he views as responsible. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that this Stark still blames John because we had this whole time of him on Talon. And it's kind of interesting that at his core, that even though he's done all this other stuff for John at this point, he blames John. Mm-hmm. And a little earlier is actually when we found out that it is actually Stark that kind of designed the back end Moya part of the game, not not explicitly, like he designed it as the game was playing to keep John in the game. Yes. Um, and the way he, fi- and John kind of points out, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in this that the other John couldn't have known. Yeah. And the way he figured it out is what I pointed out to earlier, which is that John is actually the one who has been telling him it. John is the one who said, hey, you know, we have to get back because of Stark or because of, Uh, Scorpius and then he was the one who said oh Scorpius escaped and you know so John has been the one feeding him all the information and Stark even makes a dig of it by saying you talk a lot you know and that's one characteristic of John that people have complained about over and over again through since season one like the human Mm -hmm. talks a lot and here it's used against him yeah so yeah so he and Shiana get out of the game 
And they go back to Moya, and Dargo's like, yeah, there's a problem with the door on Scorpius's cell, but we already fixed it. So there's like, it was always a manufactured, that was all in-game. You know, the Scorpius thing was more of a heads-up, FYI kind of deal that he and Aaron, that Dargo and Aaron just handled. No problem. Mm-hmm. Although it does make you wonder what really happened to the door. Like what, yeah. Sokozu knows a lot about Moya's right. systems. Right. So what was she, was she and Scorpius doing something something down there? Yeah. I don't know. Um we never find out. At least Yeah. Anyway. So at the end, John has a moment with Norianti. And they're in the center chamber and she's cooking because that's apparently all she does on the ship. Interesting day. They're all interesting. This was more like Confusing. And a warrior needs clarity. I'm not a warrior. You carry a weapon. Second Amendment. Besides, it's Scorpius War, not mine. Thousands dead. Billions in the balance. But that's not the war I'm speaking of. Aaron. The War of the Heart. Aaron. Yeah, I don't think too clear where Aaron is concerned. Pain clouds judgment. And then after that, Norianti gives John the essence of Laka, which are those little bug things from what was lost the two episodes at the beginning of the season. And basically says, you know, take these drugs and you will get clarity again. The pain will go away. And I think there's a lot to unpack from this little scene because there's, you know, she calls him a warrior. Well, okay, let's start at the beginning. So first, you know, John's the one saying it was confusing. And I think that's kind of lampshading what we felt as viewers about this episode was that there's a lot thrown at you visually. There's a lot of weirdness visually. There's a lot of cultural callbacks. So it is a very chaotic episode. And we haven't even gotten into the whole Don Quixote, the episode title of, you know, the story of the knight who's tilting at windmills, tilting at windmills and going against ghosts, you know, things that aren't real and you know, there's a lot of John's badness wrapped up in that with especially like season two where he's, you know, slowly going mad from Harvey or the neurochip. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of going on in this episode and the fact that John's calling it out is confusing, you know, is kind of a nice like, it's okay if you're confused, it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nuriyanti calling him a warrior because he carries a weapon and he's like, I'm no warrior. Which, John, you kind of are at this point. Yeah, and that's something we were kind of addressing earlier with John's own changing role in the series. Like, he started off as, I'm not a soldier, I'm a scientist. And yet at this point, he's killed thousands of people. He carries a weapon, and he's no longer comfortable being the science guy. He passes that off to Sokozu, mm-hmm. you know? Or, yeah. you know, Harvey. You know, there have been a couple times where he's, you know, passed it off to Harvey, you know? And it's kind of this interesting moment because he doesn't want to be a warrior. But at the same time, Noranti, I think, is pointing out here, like, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, (laughs) you know, you know, you're a soldier. Yeah. 
And then then there's the, the topic of what war he is fighting. Because mm-hmm. John thinks she's talking about Scorpius because he's just been, kind of been ingrained, you know, the game had him up against Scorpius. But she's talking also about Aaron and the war for his heart. And, like, I think it's an internal, what she's talking about. I was thinking about this because at first I was a little confused myself. It's the internal battle John has of whether he wants to continue have a, having a relationship with Aaron or not. Because on the one hand, he loves her. Yeah. On the other hand, they have a really not healthy relationship at the moment with her keeping secrets and not trusting him and him in return not trusting her. So there's this whole problem of how the relationship functions. And on top of that, you have him still loving her so much that he will do, you know, give Scorpius wormhole information for her as he thought in the middle of this episode. Yeah. Well, and I think that the other thing there is if she's talking about this metaphorical war that he's having with Aaron, what weapon is she talking about? And I think mm-hmm. the weapon that he's holding on to is kind of his anger. And the weapon is kind of this this kind of really weaponized emotion that he's using against her. Because I mm-hmm. think in the last episode... Aaron really came to him and was trying to be open and was trying to, you know, tell him like, I wanted to be sure it was yours before I kind of brought this on the table, (laughs) you know, because yeah, yeah, it is, it would be hard if she'd been kind of like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Not sure whose it is. You want to raise someone else's baby? (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, want to raise like some randos baby. At this point, he's kind of holding on to this, like, you know, weaponized anger and weaponized righteousness, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that that's interesting because, like, the whole metaphor of, like, you know, Don Quixote and kind of, like, the tilting at windmills and the helplessness nature of it. Like, you know, I think when uh, culturally, regardless of what the actual play says, when we use a metaphor of Don Quixote, we're using it as somebody fighting something that kind of, is made up or imaginary or can't be fought. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of this or like... Or beaten. Or beaten. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're tilting at windmills is like this metaphor for like, you're not going to win this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that right here, John is fighting his attraction for Aaron and he's not going to win that. You know, like right. he can take as many drugs as he wants. He's not going to win against his emotions for Aaron. Right. But he does take the drugs. When he sees Aaron in the hallway afterwards, she's she's sitting on the floor and she says, hey, I heard I was a princess, kind of trying to engage him in conversation, trying to be friends, trying to, you know, have some sort of interaction. And he barely looks at her. He pauses and then he walks on without saying anything. And the look on Aaron's face is just devastated. Which is kind of, I don't know, this is what ruined me about the episode because I'm like, there is a certain point, I think, where Aaron will stop trying. You know what I mean? Right. Because this is awkward for her. This is uncomfortable for her. And there is a yeah. certain point where I think he can push her far enough that she will, like, leave or just stop, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that was the interesting thing about watching this episode as a rewatch, knowing where season four goes with the storyline. Mm-hmm. And... To be honest, I like don't completely agree with the choices that Farscape slash John Crichton are making about a lot of things. But knowing some of his later reasoning, 
I feel like this is the episode where a lot of that kind of starts and crystallizes. It's not just that he gets the drugs, but the way he's thinking about Aaron and the way he's thinking about Scorpius and the way he's thinking about, you know, being a partner with Aaron and what that means for what Scorpius wants, you know, her being vulnerable to him in all these ways. That's, that's really where this, the game, the scenario that he was in in the game really crystallizes. I think a lot of those fears for him that then make him, bring him to make these decisions that he makes not only at the end of this episode by, you know, going for the drugs to try and push back his attraction to Aaron, but as he continues to use them later on through the series. Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't remember much of season four. I remember major plot points and I remember Peacekeeper Wars plot points, but this is kind of, to me, this really is kind of a very, very fresh rewatch. Yeah. Um, but this plot line of like him taking the drugs, it reminds me a lot of one of my least favorite Buffy plot lines, which is where Riley, yeah, where Riley <laughs> starts going on the drugs, and yeah. I'm kind of like, Riley was a character I really liked, and I know a lot oh, of people- season four. Sorry, yeah, I yeah. was thinking of of Willow. Um, oh yeah, six Dark Willow. That's another good one. Well, I hated both of those plot lines, <laughs> um, a lot. I think I hated the Riley more. Because I actually mm-hmm. liked Riley a lot. Um, yeah. For the same reason that I, I kind of liked Angel the series because it kind of felt like, you know, like he was the guy that was never going to be the guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it's kind of hard to yeah. be somebody's like love interest after Angel. Yeah. But at the same time, he tried really hard and he was in it with the best intentions and he didn't know better. And when he did know better, he did better, you know? Yeah. And, and then all of us, and then you're going to get him addicted to drugs. And I was kind of so like, then Buff, well, it gives Buffy a good reason to push him away. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. I had that kind of reaction. I liked Riley too. I was like one of like five people, you included. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Let us know if you also liked this character that was probably designed to be hated, but we kind of liked because I always like characters that are designed to be hated because I feel so badly for them. Okay, that's that's not true because everybody heard (laughs) how much I hated Jewel. Like I hated Jewel. But I think that there's something so like anti-Joss about Riley. And I think that that's why the as a character he was designed to be hated because like mm-hmm. Riley is like literally the antithesis of who Joss Whedon is, you know? <laughs> and so like, okay, that's getting on a side point there. <laughs> yeah, okay. I forgot what we were talking about. We're talking about how much we hate the idea of John going on drugs. Right, right. Because that's, yeah, because that's just, oh, it's so cliche. Also... I really just don't like what it does for his relationship with Aaron going forward. Actually, okay, I I am going to point out one thing that potentially I might like about this. And it's not like a good thing. And again, like, as I've said, I don't like and then they get on drugs plot lines because it feels so 90s in like a very (laughs) fundamental way. This was the 90s. Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, early aughts. No, this is the early (laughs) aughts. But this feels very like saved by the bell of like, I'm going to get addicted for one episode and then I'm going to get better because willpower. And I'm like, that's not how addiction works. But yeah. whatever. Well, it is never clear whether the Laka is addictive or not, whether he's taking it voluntarily and it's something like ibuprofen that you actually don't get addicted to, but you can take to feel better. Yeah. And he's taking it to feel better about himself and his relationship with Aaron. Okay. But so my point is, I think the one thing I will potentially like about this, which is that this is the first time 
that something awful has happened to John or potentially will happen to John because I've seen enough addiction plot lines that I pretty much know how this is going to (laughs) go. And it is his fault. It is explicitly something that he did that is causing this. And I'm like, you go, John. You take your agency (laughs) back by making poor life decisions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does introduce conflict. I'll give it that. And they ha- do have to spill the season. And uh, yeah, and the season is much more episodic than, say, seasons two or three. So yeah. yeah. I, but again, like, I, I want to say that even though I'm acknowledging that this is happening, I hate it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so what would you give this episode? Eh, it's like a three for me, three and a half. You know, it's like yeah. a real solid episode. You can tell that... You know, Ben Browder has such a good grasp of who John Crichton is, but it's also like kind of one of those episodes that I completely forgot about until somebody brought it up the other day. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a three for me as well. I think it's very solid. I like it. Um, It's actually better than I remembered it being. And I think that's the benefit of having seen it before because it is such a confusing story. It wasn't so confusing like that I couldn't follow it, but at the same time, it's just chaotic. And I kind of like the chaotic episodes. I kind of feel though like and this is just bitterness talking but I'm like (laughs) such a wasted Virginia Hay like the you know the few minutes we have her it's amazing and beautiful and perfect and Zan like this is the Zan I miss you know this is the Zan the show is missing on on a lot of levels but at the same time I'm kind of like it feels selfish that John is the only one that gets her (laughs) yeah yeah, but she is there for just such a short period of time. Yeah. So wardrobe watch, we have a lots of different crazy costumes for everybody. I think we discussed most of them as we went for the game parts. Otherwise, when they're not in game or in the Moya parts of the game, they're in their usual outfits. Mm-hmm. And John is wearing gloves like full time now. I don't know if we've pointed that out before, but he is. Yeah. Got his hands covered. Um, I'm going to also point this out that Claudia Black now currently like the real person wears her hair blonde and I'm like this episode really reminded me of that strongly because I'm so like Aaron and like Claudia Black well Claudia Black herself is like literally like an ageless princess who I've said multiple times (laughs) I think bathes in the blood of like babies because like she perpetually (laughs) looks the same age as she does in this tv show like no matter how old she gets and I'm like how is that physically possible Claudia Black But at the same time, I'm also kind of like, I prefer her with dark hair. Yeah, same. Yeah, she's just, I think I appreciate her performance in this as like the princess in a white dress with the blonde hair and the southern accent with a lisp, I think, more than I did at the time. Because I was like, before I was just like, that's not Aaron. And outraged because I really like uh, Aaron's son's look and feel and the way she is to such an opposite of that. But I think I'm just a little bit more mellow now about my feelings. And she was cool. (laughs) Yeah. So next week we have I Shrink, Therefore I Am. Yep. And I this is one I don't really remember beyond what the summary says. So this will be kind of like a new watch for me of it, too. Yeah. 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 So if you want to get in touch with us, we are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Tumblr, and Dreamwith.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Hit us up in all of those places or any of those places. Mm -hmm. We love hearing from you guys. And uh, yeah, tell us what you liked about this wacky, wacky episode. I mean, there's a lot to love here. We we skipped 
bunches of it, um, <laughs> or at least bunches of the details anyway. And I'm sure there's references that I still don't understand. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.